Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Freelance Friday podcast. Before we get into the content, I wanted to let you all know that doors are opening to the Social Media Management Accelerator at the end of the month, and the early birds, as always, get first access. They get to make sure they get their seat first, as well as the absolute best deal, fun little discount, some sneaky little bonuses. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. I'll be sending out those emails in the next 10 days or so. So make sure that you get on the wait list. If you are somebody who's been asking me about it, the Social Media Management Accelerator is an immersive group program. So it's kind of a hybrid between self-paced course, group coaching, and a community where there are projects that we do together. You get access to group calls with me every single week and access to an ongoing community for an entire year. So you don't want to miss out. You can go to smmaccelerator.com to learn more about what the offer is, hear from some of my past students, get on the wait list if you'd like to, and I'll talk to you soon. When it comes to finding clients as a freelancer, there are a lot of things that are just outside of our control, right? We can't control dwindling marketing budgets. We can't control the state of the economy. We can't always control things in our personal lives, like our health or things going on with our families, emergencies that happen, etc. But there are a lot of things that we can control. And there are a lot of behaviors that you may be modeling inadvertently that are giving off the wrong impression to prospective clients And that's what we're going to talk about today. I surveyed my Instagram community. I said, hey, for anyone who has hired freelancers or actively hires freelancers, tell me about some of your red flags, signs that tell you, nope, we don't want to go with this person. And some of your green flags, signs that tell you this is the perfect person to work with me. And I'm someone who has hired many freelancers over the years. So I have a lot to add to all of these things. So let's just hop in. Before we get into the rest of the episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Found. Freelance Friday listeners, you know that your time and energy is best spent on running your business, not on the annoying details of saving receipts, calculating your taxes, and categorizing expenses. And what if there was something that could take care of all of that for you and free up more of your time? Well, there is. It's called Found. Found is a business banking app built specifically for the self-employed. It's all-in-one banking, meaning it comes with the smart tools you need to run your business, manage your income, expenses, taxes, and invoicing, all from the Found app. Even sign up is easy. It's free and takes just minutes. Plus, if you spend $100 with your Found card in the first 30 days, you'll get a $25 bonus in your account. There's no commitment. Try Found today and see what a difference it can make. Head to found.com slash Latasha or use promo code LATASHA to try Found today. Terms and conditions apply. Found is a financial technology company, not a bank. Found's banking services are provided by Piermont Bank, member FDIC. Remember, head to found.com slash LATASHA or use promo code LATASHA to try Found today. The first thing that popped up was this whole discovery call thing. No discovery call, a paid discovery call, a verbiage like apply to work with me, apply for a discovery call. A lot of people said that that really turned them away and I am gonna have to agree. I don't think I've ever went on someone's website and saw apply to work with me uh, unless it was like a, you know, a course or like a coaching program. If it was a service like, hey, I want to uh, get a website built or have you do my social media. The words apply 
just kind of give off a closed door feeling. It's industry standard for most, most industries, definitely for social media world and the work that I do with video content, things like that. Industry standard to offer a free discovery call. I usually slot it or promote it as 15 to 20 minutes, but I leave 30 minutes on my calendar just in case the call is going really well and I want to get to know them more. That is industry standard. Now, there's a couple things you can do. If you are booked and busy and you do want that sort of closed door approach, then by all means, remove the option to book a discovery call and you can just use a contact form instead. And or you can pre-qualify your leads a little bit better. Something that I did a couple years into my freelance journey was I started adding a pricing drop down to the discovery form. So before they booked the call, they would have to choose what their budget was. And that budget started at a certain amount, right? So people who are looking to spend $100 on marketing would say, oh, okay, her prices don't start at $100. I'm going to go elsewhere. So that really helped me pre-qualify those uh, potential customers. So if you're somebody who's thinking, why aren't I booking more clients? Why aren't I getting discovery calls? Why aren't people applying to work with me? It may be because you're asking them to apply to work with you instead of explaining to them the value that you can provide them and opening the door and welcoming them to your business. Something to think about. The second one is very easily controllable. And some people accuse me of being real old school for caring about this, but it's not being timely. And listen, I think respecting people's time is an indication of how much respect you have for them at the end of the day. Time is the most valuable resource ever. It's the one thing that we cannot buy more of. I mean, I guess we can try to eat healthy and extend our lives a little bit, but I mean, no day, no moment is promised. And so I know that sounds really dramatic, but when somebody is just casually 10 minutes late for an intro call with me, that's already sending a message to my brain saying, how are they going to treat serious projects or do they not care that I haven't eaten today and I've been in back-to-back -back meetings and I slotted out this time for them? And, you know, I could have been hanging out eating lunch, like, you know? And don't get me wrong. Again, there are emergencies that happen. We're not talking about that. One, if you can, giving people a heads up if you know you're gonna be late, that's, that's never, I never look at that as the negative thing. Life happens. But if you just show up casually 10 minutes late and don't apologize and there wasn't a real emergency happening, yeah, it's not a great sign. So that's something that you can easily control. Before I have a discovery call or, a, you know, an onboarding call or anything with a client or somebody, I always try to just be in my office 30 minutes in advance. I know that might sound silly, but 30 minutes goes by fast. I might be like, oh, shoot, I need a glass of water or, you know, my Zoom stuff, my webcam and microphone and stuff weren't connected or, oh, my hair is kind of messed up. Maybe I need to like brush my hair really quick. Like, all those things add up and those are those little things that can make you late. And I would hate to miss out on a client because of a curling iron, you know, or a, a drink of water. Similarly, delayed responses was another one that a lot of people mentioned, which kind of goes without saying. I talked about it in last week's podcast, I believe. So if you want to check that episode out, I went over some strategies to be better at inbound engagement, similar concepts here, but definitely once you accept money from someone or you kind of have a verbal agreement to start working with someone, I think it's important that you start treating them like a client. And that doesn't mean that you're just at their beck and call and are available 24 seven, but that means responding within 24 hours, 48 hours, maybe whatever that boundary is going to be for 
for you. But you know, when I start thinking about working with somebody and maybe have a con uh, question about their contract and they don't respond to it for a week or something like that, it just, it kind of, again, it's an indication of how they're going to treat me as a client. And I don't, in most cases, I don't want to wait, you know, a week or two for a response to a client inquiry. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. No professional email or website. This is a big one. A lot of people don't like to hear it. I know because there are so many great alternatives nowadays to having a website, right? You can build like a Canva site. You can just run stuff off Instagram or TikTok or whatever. But I really do think that having a professional website just makes it look more professional, more reputable. It shows that you are invested, that this is not just like a passing fad in your mind, you know, that you really are committed to it. And that's something that I get concerned about sometimes as a putting my client hat on is when somebody pitches me or, you know, I reach out to someone and say, oh yeah, that's something that I'm testing out or I'm trying. Well, then that's a beta client. Like I, and I don't want to be a beta client if I'm paying you a premium price. If you give me a beta rate and, and introduce it as, hey, I'm testing this out. Absolutely. But if you're just testing something out, but charging me full rate, I'm worried about, are you just going to decide you don't like it after a month and quit? And I think that's what the Instagram kind of thing can sometimes give off is like, oh, you're testing this out. You're seeing how it goes. It doesn't have to be expensive. I built my own website, all of my own websites on Squarespace and you know, I pay like a hundred dollars or something a year, maybe a little more than that by now, but it's, it's not too expensive. It's a business expense. So I can write it off on my taxes on Squarespace. You can also get a, a email address that goes with your website. So, Hey, at latashajames.com is my email as opposed to like, you know, my personal email. It's like, whatever it is, you know, something silly or a little bit less professional, just a regular old Gmail address. So just something to think about once you know that you're serious about your business, just get a website. It'll really help you. And it'll also help you with the discovery call thing and all that and enable that to go a little bit smoother. Uh, miscommunication was another one. This one said when they ghost a few days after first payment, I've actually had that happen. I, I worked with one person that I, I did hire and it was so disheartening because whenever I would pay their invoice, they would be like amazing for three days and then they would disappear. <laughs> and it was like, I don't know. It was very frustrating. If you're going to be out, if you're going to be away, communicate that. I let my clients know, Hey, I'm going to be out of town for a week next week or whenever. And just letting you know, my email responses may be delayed, or I'm going to be completely out of the office. FYI. Uh, you can also use your email out of office. I use that even if I'm going to be gone for just two days. And even if I plan to be working while I'm on a trip, I always put my out of office on just so people know, you know, if I'm in a different time zone or whatever, they're not wondering, you know, why isn't Latasha replying or why is she replying? And her texts are kind of all messed up, you know, cause she's typing on her phone. I think just more communication is pretty much always better. This one is a little bit, uh, it's, I don't love it, but I get it. It's no team chemistry. So the reason I don't love it is because when I think chemistry, like what does that word mean? You know, like what is the technical definition of that word in this use case? I think it's very subjective and I think it's easy for phrases like this to turn into discrimination, um, ableist, you know, ableism, ageism. 
um, you know, the whole culture fit thing. Are you a good fit for the company culture? Well, you're not because you're 50 years old and you're not because you're neurodiverse and you're not because, you know what I mean? I think it, I think it's a little tricky here. So I actually challenge anyone who's listening, who hires freelancers to reconsider that as well. Um, are you picking people that you just like the most personally and want to hang out with, or are you picking the best people for the job? Always something to think about, but I will flip it back to us freelancers and also say, I do get it to some degree. I would probably change the verbiage of this to doesn't take an interest like in the company or doesn't enjoy being here. Doesn't appear to enjoy being here. Uh, listen, I'm very introverted. I'm very shy. I am not typical in many ways. And so social things are hard for me. When I first started working with clients, even when I first started my first like, um, corporate job, that was very challenging for me. I came from a blue collar background. All of my jobs were blue collar. And what they tell you like in retail is if there's no customers in the store, find something else to do. Right. Uh, clean off mirrors or dust fixtures or rearrange files or do paperwork or whatever, you're not supposed to be standing around and talking to people and just hanging out. And so in the corporate world, it was really weird to me that people would just like send memes to each other and joke around and take long lunches. And I had to push myself a little bit to acclimate to that culture and to acclimate to that way of communicating and realizing that people wanted to get to know me. They wanted to be friendly with me because that makes work a lot more fun than having to just like work all the time and only ever talk about work. Right? So hear me out. I am not telling you that you need to change who you are. I want to make that very clear. If you're introverted, if you're shy, if you're anxious, you know, you don't need to push yourself so far to where you feel like you're being a different person. But I do think it's valuable to push yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit. And I say this to the other side as well, right? The very extroverted, bubbly, loud people. Some of y'all could benefit from just like zipping it a little bit once in a while as well and doing a little bit more listening. So I'm not picking on us, people like me who are more shy, uh, but just pushing yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit to take a little bit more of an interest in the company, ask more questions, be a little bit more curious because if you just are in and out and just kind of heads down, don't speak to anyone ever, answer in one word replies in Slack. I've had, you know, I've worked with people who do that and it just makes me feel weird. It makes me feel like a stranger in my own business. I'm like, I'm just trying to be friendly and tell you to have a nice day. Um, but okay, I guess you'll give me a thanks period and, and that's it. Okay. Bye. I won't ever speak to you again. Don't worry. Something that really helped me with that point in particular is having a go-to list of icebreakers. I actually published it in my social media management toolbox, which I will link for you. If you want to check that out, it's just a list of different icebreakers that you can always have when you're on zoom calls or when you enter a boardroom or when you're at lunch, you know, if you're in person with a client or whatever, so that you're asking business appropriate questions, but just digging a little bit deeper and diving a little bit outside of just the day-to-day -day work. One of my go-tos is where in the world are you located again? Love to ask that question. Love to ask the clients that I work with on a regular basis and that I, you know, have a regular relationship with. Did you do anything fun this weekend? Do you have any fun plans for the weekend? Right. This is an open-ended question that allows people to respond and you can have a little bit of banter before getting into the work. Okay. These ones are probably the most important in my opinion, lack of references and lack of experience. And these are the ones that are a little bit more challenging. I will admit some of these other ones are really easy fixes, but yeah, you can't just pull experience out of the air, but 
you can make it your goal to get one good case study under your belt. That might mean volunteering. That might mean working on a passion project. That might mean, you know, offering a beta version of your project, your, your service to a client, but you need at least one good story. And Flipping over to the green really quick, one of the first ones somebody said is a portfolio of proof they can do successful work for my niche. This part's really important. I have a lot of experience. I don't publish all of it. I don't share all of it. I don't talk about all of it because, I mean, my first freelancing gigs were like writing for retirement homes. That's not a niche that I serve currently. Although it is a pretty future-proof niche, actually. A lot of people don't talk about that, but if you're looking for a good niche, it's something that we'll always need. But anyway, if you say you wanna help startups, focus on getting just one good case study for a startup, a tech startup or whatever, and one good testimonial. A couple of things that really help with getting references and social proof I think video testimonials are so incredibly powerful because you can use them on your website, you can use them on social, you can send them to clients who ask for them. They just add that level, that next level of authenticity. You can use the transcripts to you know, quote them, things like that. So what I like to do, if I have a happy client, somebody who is giving me indication that they are happy working with me, I ask them onto a Zoom call. I say, hey, I would love to get a testimonial from you. Can I just borrow you for 30 minutes on a zoom call. And that way they don't have to write, right? Cause like asking somebody for a written testimonial, that is so hard for me. And I consider myself a pretty strong writer, but I'm like, what do you want? Like, what do you want me to touch on? So ask them on a zoom call and just ask them questions that you specifically think are going to be helpful to touch on in their testimonials. And then make sure that once you get those testimonials, you build them out into a portfolio you write out a case study. There are templates for both of those things in my social media management toolbox as well. Case study template, portfolio template. Uh, those are great marketing materials just to have on hand. So when somebody says, oh, cool, you said that you can help people tech startups. You said that you can help CEOs of small agencies. Do you have any examples of work or, you know, do you have any testimonials or case studies that you can share? And you can flip those documents over to them. And it just makes you look so much more professional. Even when you're like applying for things on Upwork, you can attach those things to your pitch or your proposal. I'm telling you it's a game changer. Some other things that people listed as green flags, um, willing to learn and adapt, crossing the extra mile at the beginning of the contract to provide extra value. I like, you know, I, th I think this is important to note because I think sometimes we just stay so stuck on what exactly is written, the exact deliverables that we say we're going to give people. And I know that there's two sides to this because I know that there are clients who take advantage, but I do think business relationships are, are relationships and I want my clients to be successful. I want my clients to be successful. Even if I'm just saying that for selfish reasons, because it makes me look good, I want them to be successful. And so if there is something that I can do, that's going to take an additional five, 10, 15 minutes of my time, but it's really going to be a game changer for them. You know, use your best judgment. Cause if they're the type of client that's going to take advantage, you're going to give them an inch. They're going to take a mile. Then maybe don't do that. But I'm always happy to throw in bonuses for my clients. If we're scoped to do three videos, but I thought of a really good idea in the car on the way there, I'm going to give them four. Like it's not that deep. 
And those are the things, again, that just show that you want to work with them, that you value your, their relationship and that there's a reason that they went with you. So I don't know. Use your best judgment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Um, asks about my desired outcomes. This one's really big too, because I think so often as people who live in our spaces, right, we live and breathe our industry, our niche, we think we know what people want, but it's really important to listen as a social media manager. Does your client want more followers because they're looking to apply for a business grant that wants proof of concept and, you know, a community behind it, or are they like really hurting for money right now? And they just need to really focus on revenue. My strategy that I propose are going to be different for both of those outcomes. And so You've got to just listen. You've got to pay attention to what they want. I think very often I see in my space, people get very, um, we, we personalize what we do a lot. It makes sense, right? Because we love what we do. So I'm like, oh my gosh, your Instagram feed should look like this. It shouldn't look like this. I think aesthetically it looks better like this, but I'm not their ideal client. And I don't, I might not know what their business goals are. They might have a different goal. So, you know, you just got to take yourself out of it a little bit and listen to their outcomes. Positive reviews. Again, um, make sure that you're displaying those reviews throughout your website, you know, on your services page, on your homepage. If you sell courses, you can make sure that your reviews are turned on for your courses. You can use a third party tool like Trustpilot. I actually just signed up for Trustpilot. I haven't actually gotten it going yet, but eventually I'll have some Trustpilot reviews that just show social proof, that show that I can do what I say I can do and that my clients, most of them are happy. What else? Um, ooh, ooh, this one is so good. When they send me a schedule of the process and when they give me a timeline, an outline of what I can expect, so important. I don't know what I don't know. If I hire a Facebook ads person and I'm not skilled in Facebook ads, I don't know if it's gonna take you a month to set up the ad, a week to set up the ad, what you need from me, right? So all of that stuff should be outlined in a timeline for them. I actually usually put a general timeline in the proposal. So week one, we're gonna be doing our onboarding stuff. I'm gonna be doing some research. I'm gonna be building out a strategy. Week two, I'm gonna send you the content calendar, et cetera. You know, so they're not expecting on day one that you're just off to the races posting 5,000 times a day for them or whatever. They don't know what they don't know. So if you just ghost and are you, you're, you're probably busy working, but they think you're just hanging out. They have no idea. So make sure that you send a timeline that can be a really big game changer. Again, another social proof one recommended by someone who has used their service, parentheses, referral. So referrals are probably the hottest type of lead that you can usually get. If you have a customer that is so happy with your work that they're willing to share it with a friend, with a community that they have, whatever, that is really powerful. And it's hard to like generate more of them because it's kind of just an organic thing. You don't want to be weird and be like, could you refer me to somebody? But again, all of these little things that we've been talking about today add up to referrals. You know, those freelancers that I work with that 
I look forward to their calls because they are comfortable for me. They're enjoyable for me. We get along that give me quality work that are timely, that are, you know, all of those things that we've been talking about. Those are the, those are the freelancers that I refer for free. You know, I, I am like their little salesperson behind the scenes and they don't even know it because I'm always speaking of them highly, even when they're not in the room. And that's just what happens when you build solid relationships. And remember, that's what business is all about. It's just about building solid relationships. It doesn't have to be more complicated. We often make it so, but it doesn't need to be. So those are some of the freelancer red flags and green flags that I heard from my community and that I certainly have experienced myself. Let me know if you have anything you would add to the list in the comments. And I really hope this episode was helpful for you choose one of these things to take action on. If, if you heard any of these things that you're like, oh my gosh, I do that red flag, just take quick action. Most of them are quick, commit to it, and I am sure you will not regret it. So thanks so much for tuning in. As always, you can review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you would like to. If you're on YouTube, leave me a comment, leave me a thumbs up if you don't mind, and be sure to subscribe to the channel for more episodes and videos. Thank you so much for being here. I really value our time together and I will see you in the next one. Bye.